We would like to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present. Welcome everybody to the first episode of I Used to Play Piano. I'm Zara. And I'm Ioana. And we're here to talk all things music. Um, so first we thought we'd talk a little bit about why we're doing a podcast and why it's called I Used to Play Piano. Ioana, would you care to explain? Sure. Um, but you, so you probably get this too, but I've happened. I've ha- come across so many um, instances in my life where I tell people that I really love p- playing piano and they just say, well, I used to play piano and I wish I kept playing piano. Yeah. And I usually follow it up with, well, it's never too late to pick it up again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> so it common, is. isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we're hoping that this podcast can be a space to talk about um, our own musical journeys where you can share your journeys um, with us. Um, and we want to learn more about the music that we love um, and how people incorporate music in their own lives. I think both of us share a love of classical music in particular, but have also found out found that the world of classical music can be quite isolating at times. Yeah, particularly for piano players. Particularly <laughs> yeah. for piano players. It's such a solo instrument. Yes. So I guess we're, we're hoping that um, through this podcast we can create a bit of a community of music lovers and music players and get people playing um, again when they might have stopped. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I think it might be good to start with giving a little bit of background about our own personal music journeys. Yeah, definitely. Um, as Ioana said, we'd, we'd really like to hear from listeners in the future as well. So we'll start off with our own journeys. Can you tell me a bit about um, how you got into music and what you're doing now with music? Sure. Um, so I started playing piano when I was eight years old and that was because my siblings were learning. And so I wanted to do that, of course. Um, and they, a little while later when they wanted to quit, I wanted to quit as well, but my dad wouldn't let me, um, which was really annoying. Why did you want to quit? (laughs) Well, because they weren't playing anymore and I was bored with it. And so I just, yeah, I just wanted to give it up. And, but dad was like, no. And I was like, but you let the others quit. (laughs) He's like, no, you're not allowed to. Ah. And I tell you what, I am very grateful for that. Go parents intuition. Yay. Um, (laughs) Thanks dad. Yeah, right. I went, then went on to do a bachelor of music where I majored in classical piano performance. Um, in my honors year, I studied piano with Michael Spivakovsky and it was really interesting because he wasn't actually a pianist by trade. He was an architect, but his dad was a very well-known pianist, um, who came over from Russia and so he spent would spend his afternoon studying in the same room that his dad would practice on. And so he learned a lot about musical interpretation and just music in general. And that's what he sort of um, focused on in our lessons. Wow. Did he actually play piano as well? Or? He did for a little while, but he gave it up when he went to study uni. Oh, wow. So he did sort of, he d- did know how to play piano, but he hadn't played in a long, long time and Technically, he wasn't as strong as some other teachers that we may have, like, my teacher prior to him was all focused on technique. Wow, that's really interesting. I never knew that you weren't 
piano for your honors year yeah. in classical piano from yeah. someone who didn't actually play piano. Yeah, I was questioning wow. it a little bit, but it seemed to work. Wow. <laughs> there you go. We were in the same honors year. We were. You tell, so that's okay then. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. That's your proof. <laughs> so he had a massive hand in developing my understanding around musicality and interpretation. Um, after my honours year, I took a year off to focus on the second honours that I did in Italian studies. And um, I wanted to sort of get back into it after that. And so I sort of spent a bit of time thinking about what the next step would be. And I decided to pursue um, a master's overseas. And so I picked up lessons with Christian Chong again and started working towards my auditions that I would do in London. Um, the process was pretty overwhelming. Right. Like, yeah. In what was, way? It was sort of leading up to it, and I, Christian and I would talk a lot about the experience of studying overseas, how he experienced it, and what I would be expected to do. For example, he sort of said, don't be surprised if your teacher asks you for a piece by memory, a new piece by uh, learned from by heart every week. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, and if you take a, a one piece – two more than four lessons you're spending too much time on it and it's just like oh that's insane <laughs> Here I, I think was, I spent a just... year on a yeah, piece yeah well that's the thing <laughs> we are so used to just spending you know the whole year preparing for a rush recital that might only include three or four pieces like it's just an entirely different system over there wow and that's London well I think that's like the general Europe, European right. sort of wow. way of learning um so yeah even the the audition process was pretty overwhelming I got over there and it was just like there are so the standard was just so much higher I remember sitting waiting for my warm-up room in the at the Royal College of Music and um there was I could hear the girl in the room warming up like it was insane (laughs) And, um, yeah, so I walked into that one feeling a little bit shattered, but that's okay. I think that's um. <laughs> always the worst part for me. That's my nightmare is sitting in a practice room before an audition or a competition and just hearing, hearing. everyone else play yeah. ridiculous. Or they're not even playing pieces. They're just playing scales really fast. And, you know, it's just an, in, an intimidation technique. Yeah, and it works. Yes, it does. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, but I did come out of that whole experience with a few offers, which was really cool. It gave me a little bit of um, confidence in my own playing. Um, but unfortunately I had to withdraw because the fees were quite high for an, oh. as an international student and I wasn't successful in any scholarship applications. Oh, rough. Yeah, so really I came rough. back to Oz and I just sort of had to think about where I wanted to go. I was 27, sort of like, well, I better start making some money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I decided to um, enrol or ap- apply to enrol in the Master of Arts and Cultural Management. Um, at Melbourne University, which is, is more focused on the arts administration side of things. Right. And it just opened my world to the other side of the, my eyes to the other side of the industry. And it was, yeah, it was a really good course. Um, and I got so much out of it. So I graduated from that last year and I got myself a job at Victorian Opera, um, working with the development team and doing some admin stuff as well. And it's just been Amazing. really cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. So that's my journey. How about yours? <laughs> oh, thank you, Joanna. Well, my journey... It starts off quite similar to you. I did start learning, I guess you would call it a late starter, around eight or nine, I think. Mm. Um, I was never particularly... I love, always loved music and I've always loved performing. I was a bit of an extrovert as a kid, but um, never particularly good at music, I think. It wasn't until I started doing VCE music in high school that I really started to practice yeah. and realised that 
that's what I wanted to do. So like you, I did an undergraduate in music um, with piano performance as my major. And what I learnt along the way, well, I guess what happened along the way is that I developed a chronic wrist injury, mm. which um, initially I thought was a, um, a, a just an injury from a, a wild night out that I'd had at a work Christmas party. <laughs> um, you wild thing you so. Yeah. Well, I broke my, my right wrist and then it just never seemed to get better. Oh, gosh. So I thought it was something to do with that. But um, what became apparent is that about a year and a half later, I developed the exact same injury in the exact same spot on my left wrist, mm. which was a pretty big indication that it was an injury from playing piano, unfortunately. So this all kind of came to a bit of a um, crescendo, mm. I guess you could say, <laughs> in, my, yep, in my honours year, um, where I ended up having to withdraw from my final recital due to my injury. It was so bad to the point where I couldn't play one single note with either of my hands without feeling an immense pain shooting through my wrists. Gosh. Yeah, it was pretty full on. And I mean, I think in the scheme of things, it's a bit, you know, well, I had a wrist injury. It's not that big a deal. I could still survive. I could still lift things and walk around. But when it came to playing piano, the thing that was my life, my entire life was yeah. playing piano. Um, it, yeah, it was really hard and I developed a lot of... Um, anxiety and a bit of depression around that as well. And I ended up having to um, stop playing essentially for two years. So I took um, two years to do some retraining and it was actually a bit more than two years in the end. Um, And I'm so fortunate to have had such a great team of people, um, my Alexander Technique teacher Mm -hmm. and my Taubman Technique teacher, who's a piano teacher who specializes in the Taubman technique, which maybe we can get into yeah. a bit more another in another future episode, because it was honestly it saved my life, as well as a lot of physio and occupational therapy as well, that really um, helped me to retrain and re rewire my brain so that I could play again and not experience pain, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't all bad because in that time that I was retraining, I discovered kind of by accident, the profession of music therapy, which I then went on to study Mm -hmm. and it's um, a big passion of mine now. So now I'm a registered music therapist and I work in a bunch of different clinical um, settings and community-based settings, working with different types of people to help um, them to learn how to use music in a way that can benefit their health and well-being, mm. which is a really big passion and a passion of mine. Yeah, yeah, it would be so rewarding as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to be too altruistic about it because it is a job, but yeah. it is definitely a job that you can look forward to going to. I would yeah. say, yeah, absolutely, it's a beautiful, beautiful job, and I get to do work with so many wonderful people from different walks of life. Yeah, again, like stuff we can get into in future episodes yeah, too. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. That's um, really cool. Yeah, and I think it kind of ties in with this podcast a bit, and is it's what I'm really passionate about as a music therapist and as a music teacher. What you were saying about, you know, being intimidated by hearing other people play and the standard of, you know, needing a really high standard of performance to be able to do anything career-wise or performance-wise in classical music is really challenging, Mm. I think. And I know from myself and from a lot of our friends who we studied with as well, and just people I've met that many people 
stopped playing music after studying or there's, as you said, with the title of the podcast, Mm -hmm. a lot of people learned as children and gave up because they felt they weren't good enough. And as a music therapist, that's something I hear a lot as well. People saying, um, particularly with singing as well, oh, I couldn't possibly sing. Um, My mother always told me I sounded like a dying cat, (laughs) you know, or I couldn't play piano. I played piano for a bit, but my teacher said I had no musicality in me. Or I didn't have a good ear, so I'd never be a musician. And These I think horrible teachers and people put. I know it's down. awful, isn't it? But it's such. A, I think it. You know, it's an ingrained in our culture a little bit too, especially with the recording industry the way it is. We hear really perfect sounds. You know, the, and I'm constantly fascinated by audio engineering and what they can do, and yeah. that's an art form in itself. I don't think people realise mm. how incredible, incredibly scientific and artistic audio engineering and sound engineering is, but it does mean that we're not used to hearing things that are raw and maybe a bit blemished, which I think through this podcast, hopefully we can talk more about that and encourage people to be um, comfortable in maybe presenting a performance that's not 100% perfect and enjoying performances that aren't perfect, but really doing music for fun, I think is the main thing that I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you make because that's sort of something that, you know, I tend to, when I listen to pieces or a new piece that I've, you know, just come across, I'll try and see if there's a recording from, you know, the old sort of piano gods like Horowitz or Arthur (laughs) Rubinstein because you'll often come across their performances are so not perfect, the amount of mistakes they make, but you cannot tell because the fire in the performance just overtakes it all. And it's yeah. just that it wasn't, it didn't matter if you slipped up. It didn't matter if, you know, you made a few mistakes here and there. It was all about the music. And I think that's changed a little bit now where it's, there's, there's a big emphasis on just getting that perfect performance. I mean, even when we were recording the other night, I just felt like, yeah, oh, <laughs> absolutely. But just hearing that recording later was just like, oh, actually, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And I always find really interesting with those historical recordings of um, Horowitz and Rubinstein playing is that they're, even though the recording quality is often terrible, I'll still enjoy listening to that interpretation more than a, um, you know, a newer recording. Something done by Lang Lang. Oh, no. Like, I do love Lang Lang. <laughs> Not a fan. Oh, controversial. Controversial. Um, but, no, I think, you know, it's it's that kind of a thing where um, it's maybe it's to do with the passion about it. Maybe it's to do with the fact that we're programmed to know that intellectually Horowitz was the greatest and Rubenstein was the greatest, so we listen to them more. Or maybe there is something about that passion and freedom that they played with. Um, interesting, Horowitz is... That would be something to look at in the future as yeah, well. Oh, write that down. <laughs> um, you know, he took a long time off playing, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes, he I did. Think he had a big he... hiatus. And... Yeah, and he came back when he was in his 80s or something. It's just... amazing, isn't yeah. it? That could be completely wrong. Please do not, don't write yes. in. Or do write in. We're open to constructive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> constructive being the operative word. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something, you know, even... Even the greats had their moments, I think, which I is think important so. to remember. Yeah. So I think we'll try and – we've gone on a bit of a rant here, haven't we? We have. <laughs> We're going to try and introduce some segments so that in future episodes we have a bit of structure. But um, we should keep in mind, please be kind to us. This is our first <laughs> attempt at making a podcast. So we'll um, no doubt we'll improve. So bear with us, hopefully um, – 
we'll have more professionalism <laughs> in the future. Yes. <laughs> but as it then what we we're just talking about, it's not all about perfection, is it? No, it's not. This it's, is just a, a casual chat about some music that yeah. we love and it's open to you all. So please do um do share your thoughts and Absolutely. your and likes and dislikes in music even. Absolutely. So our first official segment, I think, that we'll introduce to the podcast is Peace... Oh, oh wait, no. What is it? <laughs> uh, this one. How's your month in music? <laughs> yeah, that's right. How's your month in music? So this is a segment that we thought we could talk a little about a little bit about what's going on in our own musical lives, what has been going on around the places that we live, um, maybe if there's a piece of music or an event that we've been really interested in we wanted to talk about and share it with you. Mm. Um, so what's been going on in your musical... In my musical world? world. <laughs> um, well, oh, it's just the start of February, so I feel like I might talk about January. <laughs> January? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I did actually go to um, see a concert last Thursday, not the one that just passed the one before. Um, Vox, Vox Clementis, they're a, a, a choir group from the from Estonia and they focus on um, sort of music from the Byzantine era, but they also did a lot of stuff from Arvo Part. Oh, wow. Which was really cool. I'm not sure if I said that properly. Um, I think it's Pet. Yes. I don't know. Bravo Pet. Send us an email. Send us an email. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, that was a really cool, really cool gig. They sort of made use of um, of the group and um, there were probably maybe, I don't think there were any more than 16 people in the group. Um, and, yeah, there was a bit of throat singing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cool and just very well done um i really enjoyed that was at the melbourne recital center in the elizabeth murdoch hall which is a great space for something like that it's a beautiful hall isn't it stunning hall um how about you have you seen yeah i've been to a few things i feel like summer in melbourne is really um just overflowing with different arts and music events which is fantastic we live in such a Beautiful city for the arts. Definitely. Um, one thing I did see is the Play Me, I'm Yours event that's going on around the city at the moment, which you might have noticed if you're in Melbourne, that there's a bunch of colourful pianos that have been popping up all over the place in the public outdoors, some are inside. And what that is, it's a it's the second time they've done it, actually. Yeah. A few years ago, um, Betty Amsden, who was a philanthropist, um, and a fierce supporter of the arts in Melbourne. She um, donated some money for that project. And what it is is a, a different people in the community, um, maybe from different community groups. I'm not sure what the application process is, but they paint a, an upright piano in a particular style. They, they just do it as a bit of an art project. And then those pianos are placed around the city and anyone can go up and play. And last night, actually... Uh, a few friends and I were out in the city um, to see another show by the MSO, actually. Mm-hmm. And we were walking past one of the pianos and there was a little girl playing 
um, must have been about a grade four piece, I think. And it was just beautiful to sit there and we stood there for a bit and watched her play and mm. watched her family take videos and get excited and then seeing people clap when she finished and seeing a few... There was, it was really nice because there was a few little kids getting on and, you know, their parents obviously taking videos and stuff. But then it was nice to see maybe some teenagers and some young adults who were there standing around looking a bit sheepish but then taking the chance to go up and play when the yeah. kids had had their turn. And that was really nice, I thought, because it's really... Um, it can be quite a nerve-wracking thing to play in public, particularly, you know, a little kid, it's cute, and you see a little kid and people watching that, and then for you to go up as a young adult and play something that people might be like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> bit of a show-off, or yeah. um, they're not really good, you know, yeah, the kid can I, play better than them. Yeah, I know terrifying. myself, I always get a bit apprehensive to go up there, and I know how to play piano, so <laughs> absolutely, one and, of those things. Yeah, and my partner and I, and he's a wonderful pianist, very highly accomplished pianist and he refused to get on there he's saying I can't remember anything I don't know what to play and he was helping us out with our recording for this episode the other night and he sight read Debussy so I'm saying I'm sure you could play something but you know (laughs) he was terrified and it's that it goes back to that whole idea that we were talking about before about you know have that way we've been I guess experienced classical music in a sense that it makes us quite nervous and mm. you know apprehensive to do something that isn't perfect so yes it would be um true. you know I think it all plays into that culture of um perfectionism and and not to say that that's a bad thing either I don't want to disparage the classical world I do love classical music and I love going and hearing a very perfect performance or whatnot <laughs> but I think you know there's different levels and there's things that you know it's sad when we can't even jump on a piano and have mm. a jam yeah, for fun. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, you, it sounds like you've had a really good month in music. I have. Yeah, <laughs> nice work. Um, do you know of anything that's coming up this month in February that you should, you know, people should try and get to? Oh, there's always the free concerts at the. Oh, yeah, the MSO have yeah, their free concerts. Which are in the always fall. worth going for. Too. I don't know. And maybe that's something that in the future listeners can send us in as well if they're doing a concert. Um, if you have a gig or an event that you really. Mm enjoy or are passionate about please let us know and we'll do our best to mention it and suggest and I know I, I often see things on Facebook or social media and they've already happened and I think yeah. well why didn't I know about that yeah. so maybe we can start a bit of a you know share and caring is sharing type thing <laughs> letting each other know of the cool events that are going on at on in your town yeah definitely great so the next segment that we want to look at is going to be a regular segment as well. And that's our, um, I guess, a bit of a piece of the month type thing. Yeah. So we thought we should put our money where our mouth is <laughs> and actually get playing some music as well, not just talking about how yeah. we're all too scared to play. and bit of variety for How we guys. don't play. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so Joanna very kindly volunteered to go first this month. <laughs> and she's so we spent the other night recording our first – well, Joanna spent the night recording – our first piece for the, the yeah. piece for our first episode. Um, and we thought what we'd do is we'd record a piece, put it up on SoundCloud, play a bit of it in the podcast, um, depending on how long it is, and talk about it. Because another thing that I miss about studying music is learning about the pieces and having a deeper understanding of why they were written and what they how they fit into the tapestry of Um, music and the musical canon. Yeah, it's one of those things I definitely tend to do as well, that I just pick up something because I like the sound of it but don't really delve too much into the the history of it. So I'm hoping that 
by having these podcasts, I'm obliged to. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I learned a little bit more and I came across some pretty interesting facts about this piece when I was doing a bit of research. Fantastic. Pretty excited to share with you all. So can you tell us what the piece you chose? Sure. Is? So um, this piece is by Frederick Chopin. It's uh, The Nocturne in C-sharp minor, which was published posthumously. Um, so it, I sort of came across it about 12 years or so ago. Um, my older sister had a book of Chopin Nocturnes and as I was sort of catching up to her technically, <clears throat> she tried to assume her superiority superiority uh, by going through the book and writing yes or no on top of the pages of, and they're the <laughs> pieces that I was and was not allowed to learn. Allowed to? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a great bit of sibling rivalry. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so now I just took the book off her and I just keep it myself. But um, <laughs> So this is one of the ones that she let me have. And um, it's its simplicity caught me from the get-go. It, there's not too much going on with it. It's, it's really not very complex at all. Um, and it just has a simple melodic line accompanied by a simple you know, accompaniment line. Um, but when it puts together, it just makes you feel. It really it does. Really does. And listening, I have to say, listening to you. to you record this was absolutely <laughs> tugging on my heartstrings. It was oh, amazing. I'm glad to hear <laughs> it. Um, it's funny because I never used to like Chopin. I always thought his music was really boring and it was the what? same. Yeah. And I think, though, I've come across a few people who have said a similar sort of thing. Really? I've, Chopin's normally the... You yeah, know, the guy. I, I think I figured it out. I think I know what it is because now I absolutely adore Chopin, and he's a composer that I would generally go to um, to play something. And I think it's because you need to have experienced life a little bit in order to understand it. There's a certain level of maturity that comes with it. You need to have, um, you know, experienced love and loss. You need to have experienced doubt and uncertainty, right. but you also need to have experienced like happiness and joy. Because that, I mean, they're all the emotions that we sort of encounter and become familiar with throughout our lives. And it's all essential and characteristic of the human nature. And I think that's what something that the romantic artists and composers really tried to to explore, these these different emotions. Um, And they tried to put it down in music. And I think a lot of them, especially Chopin, (laughs) That's a really interesting (laughs) observation. You know what, I think that's... You're probably onto something there because I very rarely, I mean, I've been teaching piano for a long time and I very rarely in my own students and also in, you know, competitions that students have played in and school concerts and things like that, very rarely see a young student playing Chopin. Mm. Maybe, you know, towards the end of high school, but very, it's maybe it's not that accessible for young people. I mean, it's pretty technically demanding, the majority yeah. of his work. It, they're not easy things to play. This is probably one of the easiest pieces. Yeah, right. Um, but it's, yeah, I think there really is a sense of maturity that you need to have experienced certain things in order to relate to it a little bit more. Right. That's what I found for myself. Let That's us really know interesting. Let us sort of come across similar things. Yeah, I'd love to hear what other people think about that. That's a really interesting... Yeah. Um, but this piece is fairly significant to me, um... Because it also represents a bit of a turning point in my life. Um, I, it was, I think it was after we finished the Bachelor of Music and I'd done my honours and I was sort of thinking about which way to go. And I didn't really know. I was having lots of doubts about piano and whether I actually enjoyed it enough to pursue it. And, um, yeah, I just remember I had pretty much decided to give up piano. Wow. Yeah. I was at that point where I was like, you know what, this is 
I'm probably not good enough to keep doing this. I think I'll just let it go and try and do something else. And so I was just sort of flicking through Facebook one night, as you tend to do in bed. And I came across um, this TED talk that someone had shared about, and it was this violinist who was sort of telling her story. Um, and I noticed in the title that it had this, this work, the Chopin um, Nocturne. So I had a listen and it was just like, oh, the message she was saying um, while the piece was sort of, she was playing it, stopping and starting throughout. It was just, it really spoke to me and it was sort of something that I was experiencing. Um, and so I just sort of was like, you know what? I think I will give this a go. Having a bit of a cry. Oh, I went wow. to sleep. <laughs> oh my went gosh. Went to sleep and the next morning I got up and I went to the piano and I opened the music and I played this piece. I had played it in the past. So it wasn't like I was just sight reading it or anything, but yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This is actually, um, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. No wow. Matter, no matter how hard it is. And that's when I decided to start working towards, um, master's courses in the UK. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, even though now I've decided to sort of go down the administrative path, path um, I, do still really love playing piano and it's still a massive part of my life. Um, and so, you know, I think I can pretty much trace it back to listening to that piece that night. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, maybe we should have a listen to a bit of the recording. Absolutely. And, um, we won't play it all for you, but you can, we'll put it up on our SoundCloud and you can definitely have a listen. Absolutely. So here is Frederick Chopin's Nocturne in C sharp minor played by me. Thank you. No worries.
was absolutely beautiful, Joanna. Oh, thanks, I, man. No, thank you. And thank you for um, sharing both that playing and also that, you know, really personal story as well. Um, yeah, I'm having a bit of a therapist moment there. <laughs> I think it's really lovely to hear such a, you know, I mean, that's, thank you. Like, it's really, it's those tough moments, right, in our lives yeah, where music can have that impact on you and can mm. connect you to something that, you know, a big life choice and... I know how personal that those kind of things can be. So thank you for sharing it with no us. No worries. I hadn't really told many people that story, but now the whole world knows. <laughs> well, all three of our listeners. Yay! <laughs> the so, small community. So far. Uh, that's great. Um, so maybe, um, I know you've done a lot of research on this piece. So can you tell us a little bit about what you found out and um, some of the interesting facts about this piece? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this wasn't actually published as part of, um, well, Chopin didn't write it as a nocturne. It was added to the nocturnes as um, by publishers later on after right. his death. Can I ask a really ignorant question? And sorry if you don't know the answer and I'm putting you on the spot. So with his nocturnes, the collections that we have, the urtexts and stuff, are they just a collection of all the pieces that he titled Nocturne? Or did yes. he write them as a set? He didn't write them as a set, did No, he? I don't think he wrote okay. them as a set. I didn't think so, but now that you said that, I realised I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I hadn't actually come across that. I don't think so. Um, but, I mean, there are a whole bunch of works that sort of aren't connected to anything that yes. um, I think he may have perhaps called minor works. Right. But this one was added to um, the set of Nocturnes. That was because it displayed lots of characteristics that a nocturne would have so for example uh the structure the ternary structure so it was a clear a b a section um the aria like melody in the a section was very characteristic of a nocturne um and also the tempo marking um so the nocturne actually was um was being used in before the Romantic period, in the Classical period. It really? was a piece that was played in the night time, ah. as, as implied by the name. Um, and John Field, who was an Irish composer, was the first person to take it and apply it to a Romantic setting. And it was he used it um, to, to sort of name the, his uh, set of pieces, night pieces, and they, they sort of demonstrated the lyrical and contempl- contemplative contemplative <laughs> contemplative contemplative thank you um it, like characteristic of his yeah. works Chopin then adopted that term and um and also the character and and put it to his works and for him it was more that genre was um sort of used to as and I quote expressive poetic statements that are supposed to move the emotions wow um so originally this work was written um, for his sister and it was entitled Lento con gran espressione. So when he sent it to her in 1830, he included an inscription on the manuscript which said for my sister Ludvika to practice before she begins work on my second concerto. And I think that's really cool because you can actually hear some of the melodic themes he includes in this piece are featured in the second concerto in f minor really yeah so for example um the first two bars of the second melodic theme in the modulated section of the first part of the nocturne is very similar to the opening couple bars of the third movement of the f minor concerto also um the third and fourth bar of that same section can be heard in the first movement of the f minor concerto let me let me play you a little bit of it yeah um, absolutely give you yeah examples of what i mean great so in the um, nocturne, this section, 
is heard quite clearly in the opening bars of the third movement. And this section... actually can be heard in the middle of the first movement. So the opening couple of bars of this piece, uh, I find a really sort of weird introduction. Yeah. Um, I never really know what to do with it. And I think different editions have different ways that it's transcribed. Um, but you can trace it back to um, the Polonese in G-sharp minor. Right. It's actually that chord progression is sort of similar to the third and fourth bars of the Polonese. Um, I'll just play those bars for you just yeah. so you can hear. Now this is the Polonaise. So I just, yeah, I just thought that it's really interesting. And, you know, the fact that Chopin himself wrote it for his sister so that she could prepare for the performance of the second um, concerto. It's just really interesting what he was thinking and, you know, it, he mm. essentially wrote an exercise for her so that she could prepare stylistically and perhaps technically for Isn't this it, part of the... Concerto. It's amazing though. It's technically then an exercise, but it's so beautiful, yeah. you know, and it's just gorgeous. It's such an emotional piece, mm. I think, just listening to it. I think Chopin is one of those composers that writes in the emotion into the piece, mm. you know, Definitely. You don't have to search for it as much, I think. But, and his same with his etudes as well. They're just gorgeous yeah. to listen to. Um, whereas I'm sure we've all played some technical exercises and preparatory pieces that are yes. less nice. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Not naming any composers in particular. <laughs> I feel like you want to say something. No. <laughs> um, no, but it's true. And so, yeah, I... Um, I came across this article written by Deborah Crisp and she sort of opens it by um, talking about how this piece was chosen for a documentary um, looking at the lives of refugees and how they had to sort of leave their country and immigrate to another country. And um, she found it interesting because this was apparently a similar thing that was happening to Chopin. He had to leave, or he decided to leave Poland, but then while he was away... Um, there was a bit of a political crisis in the country and he was never actually allowed to re-enter it. Oh, gosh. And, I mean, he was obviously very homesick. His family was still in in Poland and he wasn't, you know, going to see them again. And while he he loved the different countries that he, he went to, Vienna, Germany, and, you know, and I think he eventually ended up settling in Paris, um, he, he really did miss his homeland. And I think a lot of his letters sort of express that. And this piece is supposedly um, sort of an ode to that, 
oh, the wow. way that he um, he missed his country and oh. he wanted to. And you can hear that. I think that you can really hear that. Knowing that it sort of changes the way that you perform the piece as well. Wow, that's really that's really interesting, and that it was chosen for that particular. Yeah. Thing. So, um, what was the article? It was by Deborah Crisp. Did you Deborah say? Deborah Crisp. Um, it was called uh, "Tales from a Suitcase: Chopin's Early C Sharp Minor Nocturne." Oh, great. Well, maybe we'll put up on the Facebook page uh, the title and reference to that. So, if anyone wanted to read more about that, mm-hmm. they can they can look into that Definitely. as well. It's a really interesting article. Absolutely. Well, I found it because I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I guess all that kind of goes to show a little bit about how knowing a bit more about the background of the piece can influence your the way you perform it mm. you know yeah, knowing definitely. a little bit more about of that maybe emotional history of the piece yeah can impact the way that you perform it and also you know again to go back to your own personal anecdote to explore your own experience of the piece and bring that to your performance i think those are both really important things in bringing it out and then Mm. knowing some more about the technical sides of it like what was it written for um you know if it is part of a polonaise or a concerto um or related to that does that change the way you play it it's all these interesting things that i think it makes the piece more three-dimensional yeah definitely and it makes your performance more three-dimensional as well definitely yeah so thank you so much for sharing you that was fantastic really interesting and exciting and just great to know a bit more about the music as well definitely and i think yeah just go go and have a listen to the full recording and and just explore different um different performances of it as well absolutely yeah definitely don't just listen to us you want to did an absolutely incredible job recording it um but that said um we did record in a room that was probably not built for recording <laughs> on a piano that had not been tuned for quite a while um <laughs> And yeah, so absolutely go and listen to different performances and pick up the piece and play it yourself. It's such a gorgeous piece. It is. Absolutely. I'm going to go and have a tinkle do later. It. It's yeah. Great. I'll give you the music. Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right. So for our next section, um, we thought we might just throw in a little bit of a joke. Oh, it's not uh... a joke. This is a challenge. So if you're challenge. if you're listening and you'd like to get involved, we thought, well, where's a good place to start? Because one thing we have talked about as well is maybe a bit later in the year, once we've got this up and running a bit more frequently, we are looking at curating a bit of a performance and with the possibility of having some listeners perform as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd love to hear people, particularly people who've maybe gone off and chosen a career in another field, but are looking for a chance to get back and a reason to play. Um, or maybe you've only just started learning later in life and you'd like to play. But we thought, I guess maybe a bit like a book club, you could ex- yeah. explain it. Oh, that's we should great. call it, that's a good name. We should change the title of the segment. We're going to yeah. call it Musical Book Club. Musical Book Club, yeah. All right, we're in. <laughs> so we were going to call it Scale of the Episode. Um, because we're not sure how frequently we'll get these out just yet. Um, scale of the week, scale of the episode, where we're all going to pick a scale to play and we can practice it, um, practice it in different ways. But just to, you know, technique is important. Theory is important. We shouldn't forget that, I guess, if we're going to be well-rounded musicians. Definitely. So drum roll, Ioana, what is the scale of the week? Scale of the week? is E major. Yay! That's a nice one. Oh, I think um, 
it's a really good key a key and scale to play as well particularly i don't know this isn't just for piano players as well i should say we are really keen to hear from all types of instrumentalists vocalists um maybe if you don't play an instrument but you're just really passionate about music and listening to it maybe you could try and learn a bit about the scale this week google it see have a listen to what it sounds like what is the scale definitely you know if you don't know um but from a piano perspective i know that e major is a particularly important scale because it is really comfortable under the hands um from my taubman technique training when i was retraining one thing we looked at a lot is having a natural hand position so that if you're playing you don't want your longer fingers curled up to match the thumb you kind of want them to be in the most natural position possible um from that perspective of that technique and E major kind of forces your hands to do it because of the way the black notes sit on the piano. Mm. You have to have your longer fingers mm. in the natural position. Um, should we play it? We've got a piano here. Go on. I'm going to play it. All right. Sorry, <laughs> I have not done this in a, several years. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm good with that. (laughs) You know what? I was getting really cocky towards the end. (laughs) Thinking that I was about to go nailed it and then I played a D at the end. (laughs) That's funny. Oh well. It's all about imperfection. It is indeed. Yes. (laughs) All right. So I think that brings us to the end of the episode for today. Our first episode, done and dusted. Yay! Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this new adventure. Absolutely. And please feel free to drop us a line. We have our own podcast email address. It is I used to play podcast at gmail.com. That's I used to play podcast at gmail.com. Um, and you can also um, like our Facebook page. I used to play piano podcast yes. as well. Or follow us on Instagram at I used to play piano. Zara puts up lots of interesting stories. I'm a bit of an Instagram addict. <laughs> I think it's okay because I, I can't remember who it was, whether it was someone on TV or whether it was someone in person that I actually know in real life. But someone said that I heard the other day <laughs> that I'm trying to give my references here. It's not working very well. I did hear someone say that they think that regardless of, um, you know, social media is addictive and it's frustrating at times. But on the other side, particularly with Instagram, if you're taking a photo, you're putting a little bit of creativity and artistic measure in just in the act of taking a photo. So it can't be all bad. Definitely. <laughs> Same goes with Facebook and sharing events and stuff. It's a great way to sort of, you know, get everything out in the community and share things with people, which is also fun. And to stay connected with the community as well. So Definitely. We'd love you to join the Facebook group or page or whatever it is follow us on instagram yeah and please get in touch with us um whichever way is easy for you we'd love to hear your personal stories maybe you have a story about that particular nocturne did you play it at a recital did it go well did it go badly is it does it like you wanna do you have a beautiful personal story that you'd like to share about it do you hate it is there a reason i've certainly got pieces that i've played and will never play again mm-hmm. um, we'd love to hear from you and also about like we said things that are going on maybe your story about why you stopped playing why you never learnt um if you're looking at learning for the first time we'd love to hear that i'm really keen to hear people who are just picking up an instrument now for the first time um absolutely and please share with other people that you think might like the podcast too yeah and don't forget to send us and um your ideas or your you know any gigs that might be coming up in the next month of march that you'd like you think people should go to or that you'd like us to know about um 
We want to know how music plays a part in your life and how you are engaging and interacting with music. Uh, so we just have a few acknowledgements as well. We'd like to thank our noisemen. Yes, the noisemen. We've um we have given them a title. I don't think they like it, but that's okay. The noisemen. Thank you, Jill. So that's uh, Nick Maturano and Dan Liston who have helped us out significantly in recording and editing and uploading and just All general things. doing technological <laughs> things that we are incompetent at um, for helping us for this. We really appreciate it. Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us today on I Used to Play Piano. Tune in next month for our next episode, um, and we will let you know what's going to be featured closer to. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Be musical.